Welcome back to our study of the Psalms. We are looking at Psalm 24 today. Psalm 24 is another psalm that we're told was written by David, who of course was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it begins like this, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So David begins by reminding us that the earth and everything in it belongs to God. So nothing ultimately belongs to us, not even our own lives, not even our own selves, but everything in the world and the world itself, all of it belongs to God. And the reason why, he reminds us in verse 2, is that God is the one who created it. He's the founder. He's the one who established the world. And so it's all his. It all belongs to him. And uh, that's a foundational and fundamental truth in Scripture. Not only in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, where we're told that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but also throughout the Bible, we're reminded that God is the creator, uh, that God created the world good. Uh, in the New Testament, we're reminded that um, the things that God made, um, they are made for us to receive with thanksgiving um, because God made them good, right? And so um, when Paul is dealing, for example, in uh, one of his letters to Timothy with people who are, or he's talking about people who either are or are going to um, forbid marriage and require abstinence from certain foods, right? Paul's res response to that is God made those things and they're, they're made holy by the word of God in prayer, right? That we, we can receive those things with gratitude and thanksgiving because God made them. And so marriage is a part of God's uh, creation. Uh, food, right, is a, is a part of God's creation. So um, the earth is the Lord's. He created it. He founded it. And that means that we are stewards of all the things that we possess. Um, we know that they ultimately belong to God. We're stewards of our lives, our possessions, our time, our energy, our health, our resources, all those things. They are things that we have been given by God, given stewardship over by God. And so we are responsible uh, for stewarding those things well, and we'll have to give an account to God one day. And so we want to be good stewards. And what good stewards uh, do is they do what their, uh, you know, their master, their boss, would have them do. And so God is the Lord. Right? He's our master. He's our creator. He's the one that we give an account to. And so we want to treat the resources he gives us as he would have us treat them, right? Be good stewards of those things. So that's where David begins. And then in verse 3, he moves to talking about, um, well, let me just read it. Verse 3, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? This is his key question. And who shall stand in his holy place? So the Lord made everything and he made us. Right? And we were made to live in his presence, to be in fellowship with him. We see this in the Garden of Eden before the fall with Adam and Eve, that they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. We're told after they uh, had sinned, right, in, in the story of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. But as um, I, I remember reading something that pointed this out to me, I think, for the first time, that um, the fact that they... Um, 
knew what that sound was, right? It meant that it had probably happened before, that God had walked before with them in the garden. That was something they were used to, only this time they hid from God's presence because now they had sinned, whereas before is implied, or we can assume, um, that they had walked in fellowship with God. That's what we were created for. That's what the whole Bible is aiming toward, the restoration of our fellowship with God, of being restored to his presence. That's why Jesus came, right? Yes, to forgive our sin, but to forgive our sins so that we can be restored to God's presence. All that's tied into what's going on here. So at the end of Psalm 23, David said, uh, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And in another Psalm, I think it's 62 or 3 or 4, somewhere in there, um, David talks about um, how he... Uh, I can't remember if that's the one that says, you know, it's better to have one day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere, or if that's the one where he's talking about, you know, the uh, I think in the 20s somewhere is the one where he's talking about, you know, one thing I ask and that what I seek, right, that I could gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. David knows that ultimately he's going to end up in God's presence, right, in the house of the Lord forever, and he longs for that. So how... Can a man like David or a person like you or a person like me enter God's dwelling place, ascend the hill where the Lord dwells? So the hill of the Lord would refer to the, um, to the Temple Mount. Of course, the temple hasn't been built yet uh, in David's time. Um, but the, the high place, the hill, the mountain where God's dwelling, whether that would be maybe the tabernacle at some point, later the temple, wherever that is, who can go up there? Who can be in that place where God dwells? That's what he's asking. Uh, the second half of verse 3, he says, And who shall stand in his holy place? Right? Can someone like David or like you or I, who is not holy in and of ourselves, that we have sinned, we have done um, wicked things, how can we ascend to God's dwelling place? How can we be allowed into the house of the Lord? And also, um, you know, there were restrictions about who could go into the temple um, in the Old Testament because God is holy. Not just anybody can just walk in there. So David's asking this question because he wants to be the kind of person who can come into God's presence. And he knows the kind of person who can come into God's presence. Verse 4, he describes that person. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Now, maybe on your best days, you read a list like that and say, yeah, that's maybe me, kind of, at least close. Uh, but if we take our lives as a whole into account, I don't think any of us would say, uh, you know, that's, that's a great way to describe me. I have clean hands, I have a pure heart, I've not lifted up my soul at anything false, and I don't swear deceitfully, right? I don't I don't take oaths or make promises that I don't intend to fulfill. Uh, I, I don't, my hands are not sullied by any wickedness. My heart is clean, right? My heart is pure. Uh, and when he says, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, that's probably talking about idolatry, which of course is not just worshiping, um, you know, an idolatrous image, um, but can be putting anything in the place of God, making anything ultimate, giving yourself, giving your life, um, to anything or anyone above God himself, because God alone is worthy of our highest allegiance, of our complete uh, devotion, our, our 
fullest um, love, right? Um, the Old Testament is clear about that. Jesus is clear about that. So that's the kind of person who can ascend the hill of the Lord, who can come into God's presence and stand there and not be struck down. But that's not us, right? Not in and of ourselves. So we got a problem, right? We'll see how it's resolved in a little bit. Verse 5 says, He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So now he's talking about one who's going to receive blessing from the Lord um, and receive righteousness from God. And then he talks about this generation of those who seek the Lord, right? Those who seek God. Um, so all of that is important, right? Um, and we'll come back to how maybe all that fits together uh, when we connect this psalm to Jesus in just a few moments. So let's go ahead and look at verses 7 through 10, and then we'll come back, right? So 7 through 10 is a celebration uh, or at least a, a calling for a... a um, a celebratory welcome, uh, uh, we could say, of the Lord himself, right? So it says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. You might say, well, who's that? Well, that's what David asks next, too. Who is this king of glory? He answers, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So David is calling upon the, the gates, the doors of the city, or perhaps even the temple, to be opened, to be lifted up, so that the Lord himself, who is the ultimate king, right, the true and ultimate king of Israel and king of the universe, right, so that the king can come in, this mighty, glorious, victorious king. So let God enter his dwelling place in Jerusalem. That's what he is calling for. Now, as we start to think through how this psalm connects to Jesus, I think the pieces begin to fit together uh, a little more clearly. For example, we know that Jesus himself, is the, or the, you know, as the Son of God, is the one through whom God created everything. Right? John 1 uh, and Hebrews 1 both talk about this. John 1 says that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Everything that was, everything that was created was created through the Son of God, who later took on flesh, and we know him as Jesus, right? Uh, Hebrews 1, same thing, talks about how uh, the Son is the one through whom God created the world, the universe, and he's the heir of all things, and he's the exact imprint of God's nature. And, and on and on. So all the earth belongs to Jesus. All the world, everything in it belongs to the Lord. And that means the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? All three persons equally, fully, totally divine, and they all um, are the ones to whom all of creation belongs because they're the ones who made it, right? The one God in three persons. Um, then when you get to verses uh, three through six, and David is asking, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? We not only know who can, we know who has. Right? Jesus is the only person who perfectly fits the description here in verse 4 and taking in sort of the wider um, teaching of the Bible about 
what is required for someone to be fit to stand in God's presence, Jesus is the only one who perfectly and fully fits that description because he's the only one who is truly, fully, perfectly holy like the Lord because he is the Lord in the flesh. So he has clean hands. He has a pure heart. He never took a false oath. He never uh, devoted himself to anything above his father, right? He is the perfect sinless one. And so he can ascend the hill of the Lord and he has ascended uh, the hill of the Lord. The book of Hebrews talks about how uh, Christ offered himself in his death, right? His sacrifice, he offered himself to God and has entered the heavenly holy place, right? The heavenly temple. So the earthly temple was just a copy. The earthly tabernacle was a copy of the heavenly dwelling place of God. And Jesus, in his death, he died outside of Jerusalem, right outside the city. Hebrews 13 talks about that. And yet his sacrifice um, was made to the Lord himself, right? And he has entered into the Lord's heavenly dwelling. So he has ascended the hill of the Lord on our behalf so that we might now be able to enter God's presence, not on our own, but in Christ, so that in Christ now we are clothed with his righteousness. Um, this is what the, the doctrine of justification is about in the New Testament, that our sins are forgiven and we are counted righteous by God. We receive the righteousness of Christ. And so we are now, if we're Christians, we're in Christ, we are clothed with his righteousness. We are holy not in ourselves, but in him. And so we have been made worthy by Jesus to come into the presence of God. Um, and so uh, his, uh, you know, if you take verse 5 then, um, perhaps being about Christ, right, and him receiving this blessing and righteousness, right, well then he gives that to us. He passes that on to us. Um, I, I, I can't remember, uh, Hamilton had some really good thoughts here. I can't remember how much I might be leaning on him or not. Um, he's certainly clearer about this uh, than I feel like I'm, I'm being here, but it, it, um, that's what these verses seem to be about. And then uh, verse 7, the, the, the calling for, you know, the, the welcome entrance to the king as he enters uh, Jerusalem. Uh, it's easy to think here about uh, the triumphal entry of Jesus, right? When he entered Jerusalem uh, the week before his crucifixion, he's riding in on a donkey. He's being heralded as the king. People are crying, Hosanna. Right? It's this kind of scene that David is describing that Jesus experiences, and he's going to come again right, to this kind of welcome, right? that he's going to return, and all of his saints are going to be so uh, glad, exceedingly glad, uh, to see him and to welcome him at his return. So when you tie all this to Jesus, right, you see how all of this is, is fulfilled and how all of it even uh, goes together. Now, quickly, how can we learn to pray from Psalm 24? Well, first, it's, it's good to remember to give thanks to God for all the things that we enjoy because they all ultimately belong to Him. We're sort of, you know, borrowing them in a sense, being allowed to use them and enjoy them, but they're His. So give thanks to Him for all the created things that we enjoy. Ask Him to grow us in Christ-like character. When we read, you know, verses like verse 4, we think, oh man, I don't feel like I measure up to that fully. Well, we're being uh, conformed and transformed more and more into the image 
of Christ all the time. That's the process of sanctification, of growing in holiness, growing in Christ-likeness. So we can pray, Lord, you know, Lord, cleanse my hands. Lord, give me a pure heart. God, help me to, to be truthful in my speech. Help me to love you above all things. Pray for, for help in, in growing in Christ-like character. And then remember that Christ is the one who has made you worthy to enter God's presence. Remember, Jesus talked about it in, in John 14. He said, I am, uh, in my Father's house are many rooms, uh, and I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? I'm leaving. I'm going to die and rise and ascend so that you can come into God's presence, God's house, God's dwelling place. So he's the one who's made us worthy to enter that place. And so because of that, we are worthy, not in ourselves, right? But we also shouldn't think, oh, well, even after what Jesus did for me, I'm not really, you know, I, I, I shouldn't really be here. I shouldn't really be loved by God or I should. Jesus has purchased that for you. Jesus has uh, cleansed you. Jesus has made you new. You are a new creation. Don't forget that. Um, and then finally, rejoice in the coming of Jesus and look forward to his return, right? Be one of those who says, you know, lift up the gates, open the doors, let the king come, let Jesus return. You know, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. Uh, that's what we should be longing for. God bless.